Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. 2 Samuel 13. Uh, I'm going to kind of take a, a different approach to, to the text scripture for today, and it, it's probably uh, one of the most tragic stories in the entire Word of God. And uh, to use it as a foundation, I've often asked God, why can't I not be more encouraging? And, and it seems like my encouragement comes out of the brutality and the brokenness of others' lives. And there's probably no more tragic story than what we're about to read here in the 13th chapter of Second Samuel. It's a unique story because it's got a lot of abuse and rage and hatred and malicious intent behind it. Now, I can't read the whole account to you because time prohibits, but I will read uh, verse 18, and then I'll give you a synopsis of, of what's transpired. Is that all right? All right, look with me at verse 18. Are you there? The Bible says, Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin's daughter wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors and it, that was on her, and she cried, what? Bitterly. You see that? I mean, no, if you just read that part of it right there, you know something happened. If someone tears their garment, and put ashes upon, their, upon their, their body, and they weep bitterly. How many know something happened? How many has read Second Samuel, the 13th chapter? It's the account of what? The rape of Tamar. See, Tamar was a daughter of the king. David was her father and it's the story of two young people who were royal children now they had different mothers but they had the same father which made them siblings by halves but this story is the breaking down of how her brother Amnon betrayed her brought her into his house manipulated the situation, and then forced her and raped her and left her broken. Now, how many understand that, that this is a heartbreaking story? It's a story of victimization, isn't it? It's a story where Tamar is, has a ruined reputation. Her life is left to wrestle with the feelings of, of worthlessness and hopelessness. And the great question, why did this happen to me? And I'll be honest with you, we have a whole generation today of Tamars that may not have been raped physically, but they've been emotionally abused, and they've been through trauma and tragedy and difficulty. And we've got an entire generation of people that are broken and demoralized by life. When I read these scriptures this week, and it says she had a coat or a robe of many colors of her. It was her identity. It was the, the garment that she wore to identify herself as royalty. 
And when she was violated and victimized by her own brother, the Bible says she tears that robe off and she covers herself in ash and she weeps. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, your job is to restore the robes of the righteous that have been torn by victimization. And I said, but how can I possibly restore a robe that I didn't create? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me this morning. And He said, we've got to get back to preaching the restoration and the power of restoration as it relates to broken dreams and torn garments and wounded people. We don't have to look far to find somebody asking why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? We don't have to look very far to find people who have been fragmented and destroyed of their dreams by somebody else's pursuits. See, we have a desperate world we live in, don't we? Does anybody feel desperation in the world? A world that's dealing with toxic relationships and absence of answers and a world that's looking for solutions and can't seem to find any. I think there's people really crying out like tomorrow was bitterly going, will somebody help me? Because see, one of Tamar's greatest tragedies was not the fact that her brother raped her, was the fact that her father didn't help her. One of the greatest character flaws you can identify with David was the very fact that David didn't do anything to justify or correct what happened. David continued to allow the dysfunction of his own house to create havoc. He never spoke up. He was grieved. He was frustrated. He was angry. But he shuffled it into his heart. And he never done anything to help his daughter. I'm going to say something right here. There's no greater pain than the pain of feeling like somebody dropped you. That somebody didn't care enough to defend you. That somebody didn't align themselves enough with you and loyal enough to help you through your painful time. And I'll submit this to you. The church has been guilty of not being willing to get into others' messes because we're too pristine to get into the mess. So we allow the dysfunction to carry on and their robes have been torn. And I believe God's called us to help restore the robes of the righteous. The robes of the royal. To help them get back into a position of worth when it seems like their worth has been ripped from them or taken from them. Now, I'm not going to preach a long time this morning because I want to spend a little more time just in the altars. But I was doing some thoughts, research this week, and searching through some thoughts as I related to this message, and, and I ran across how many people have been divorced in America. How many people are lonely in America? And how many know when you start processing numbers like 50 million, 50 million been through the hardship of divorce. How many know that's a, a tattering of the garment? The numbers of abuse, of abandonment. 25 million suffering from loneliness, feeling like they don't have a friend. So you can be sitting right here in a room of people and still feel lonely. You can be sitting here this morning feeling like I should be a part of the fellowship, but all the while feeling disconnected because you've got a past. 
Listen, honey, we've all got a past, and we've all got a story. We've all been dropped. We've all been through some scenarios. But i got news for you. He's still in the restoration business and bringing you and I back to a place where we're not isolated or insulated because of our past. Anybody ever had crushed dreams? Anybody ever felt like your dreams are over? Your future was over? The things that you had dreamed and planned for are over, and you're no different than tomorrow. You're just sitting out there demoralized. You're sitting out there going, what's the point of this? I didn't do anything wrong. I hear tomorrow loud and clear. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve. Do you hear her crying? I didn't deserve what happened to me. All I did was, he said he wasn't feeling well, and he said that he needed something to eat, so I went to feed him. And he manipulated it. And he overpowered me. And he forced me into a situation I should have never been in. Oh, come on, somebody. Most of us in this room can deal with those kind of pains. We're some well-intentioned people manipulated some scenarios in order to get a hand up on us or a leg up on us. And they manipulated things and worked against us. And someone betrayed us. Anybody in the room ever been betrayed? (laughs) Anybody in the room ever felt like somebody took advantage of you and manipulated things in your life? You ever feel like they brought you to the place where you're weeping bitterly going, I didn't deserve it. Whether you can pinpoint it to a person or whether you can look into the Spirit and see a power or principality at work in it, all of us have been dropped. All of us have had some stuff happen in life like tomorrow that left us in a place where it felt like, look, it's over. Do you understand her reputation was the king's daughter? Her robe identified her as a virgin of the king. It means she was undefiled. It means she hadn't compromised. She hadn't compromised anything. She kept the laws, the standards, the mandates. She'd done what was right, and evil still found her. Why? Because evil... Seeks all. And Tamar, after the event, the Bible says that her brother Amnon, who loved her so greatly, turned to hate her so bitterly that he kicked her out of the house, locked the door behind her, and said, I don't ever want to see you again. And the scriptures that I read is that she tears her robe. Her robe of what? Identity. She tears it because she feels like her robe is no longer who she is. Her robe identified her as the king's daughter, as pure of standard. And because all that had been violated because of the dysfunction, she tears it. Why? Because she says, what the world sees me as is not who I am. I could wear this without guilt before. But I can't do that anymore because I've been violated and victimized. And so she tears her robe and she covers herself in ash that says, I'm burned up. I'm used up. There's no value in... Oh, 
There's no value in me anymore. By putting ash on her, she's saying, I'm used up. There's no good thing left in my life. And then I hear the Holy Ghost this morning saying, I've called this house to be a house that mends the robes of royalty. We've got to be the mender of the broken and the torn. We've got to be a house of, of, of therapeutic spiritual encouragement. We've got to be a house that goes beyond the brokenness and sees the possibility coming up out of the ash heap and not talking about what we lost, but talk about what we can become. Did she lose her dignity? She thought she did. Did she lose her identity? She thought she had lost it. Did she lose her position in royalty? She felt like she had. Why? Because she wasn't being validated. She wasn't being supported. She didn't have a daddy that ran to her and shed a tear over her brokenness. Instead, her daddy did nothing. And we've got a whole world today in America that is a generation of tomorrows that don't understand that their father is not distant. Maybe their earthly father was like David, who didn't care, who didn't move to make an amend for it. But that's not our heavenly father. And somehow you and I, we have a responsibility to help the broken tomorrows of this culture understand that not every man is like our heavenly father. Oh, glory to God. See, the Bible says that Absalom, you all right this morning? I understand this is not one of the messages going to make you want to shout and hoot and holler a whole lot. That's okay. I want to talk to you prophetically more than, than just a sermon, okay? Because I really believe it has a lot to do with what God would have us to do as a church. Absalom, the other brother, he does something. He avenges the wrong. But when Absalom avenges the wrong, he kills Amnon, the one who raped Tamar. Unfortunately, he was wrong in his attitude because he was so rebellious to his own daddy that he tried to take the kingdom from David. So there are times people will respond in your behalf. Unfortunately, if they respond with carnality, then they get carnality as a harvest. You didn't hear me. As good as Tamar felt about the fact that the one who violated her lost his life. The very one that took the life tried to take the kingdom, which caused the whole family vibe to be in chaos. So she didn't get any resolution. Why? Because you cannot fix a problem with carnality. You can't fix the brokenness of this culture with psychology and babble. We cannot try to fix the broken lives and the shattered dreams of this people that we serve with every day with our babble. Not with our rhetoric, not with our religious speech. Somewhere we're going to have to get past it and learn how to create an environment that is conducive for the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Now listen to me for just a moment. Excuse me. 
Listen, we're living in a world that's not much different than the Tamar of the Bible. It may not be physical abuse or may not be emotional, but somewhere they have been broken, fragmented, wounded. They felt like that they've lost their true identity and they've got a coat that's tattered or torn. My question is, what are we supposed to do? Most of us can relate to a Tamar. Most of us have been dropped. Most of us have been abused. Most of us have been through something. We can relate to Tamar. But we've come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we found out that he gave us a new identity and a new position. Right? He gave us new thought lives. And we wrestled down those evil imaginations. And we pulled them into submission. And we put them at the cross. And we're trying to the best of our ability every day living in victory. Our old life is dead. The old thing we used to be has passed away. And we've got new dreams. And pastor preaches about new vision and new dreams. And you rally around them. You say, I can be anything that God calls. I can do it. We talk to you about healing. And we talk to you about forgiveness. And we talk to you about releasing people and letting it go. And every Sunday, let them go, let them go, let them go, let them go. And I'd like to tell you that fixed you. But it didn't, did it? Come on, y'all don't want to talk. We preach to you you're a new creature in Christ, but you still wrestle with that same victimization. We preach to you you have a new identity. The old's passed away, but the enemy still reminds you of what happened to you. You say the old life is dead, but the enemy keeps reminding you with visions and dreams of what you used to be and what happened. We talk to you about forgiving and releasing people. And then you see them on aisle three at the grocery store. And it all comes back. Or you see a picture and it all floods back the emotion again. Y'all, is this okay this morning? Can I, can I just... I feel like I'm bleeding all over the platform. And that's probably okay because we've got too many band-aided preachers anyway. So I'm just going to be real vulnerable and real transparent and all out there and just gooey. Is that okay? You're like, I don't know any other way. You're always bleeding out. Well, that's okay. It's pretty normal for me. We've created what I call a folk theology. F-O-L-K. A folk theology. We have people that gather every Sunday that are wounded, broken down, and though they've been told their garments have been restored, they still feel like they're wiping ash off their forehead. And we say cute little things like this. It's okay, honey. It'll work out. What'll work out? Oh, it'll be okay. Praise the Lord anyhow. Just read your Bible. Pray Christian music. Go to church more faithfully. We give them all kinds of what I call folk theology. Y'all feel what I'm talking about? 
And we do it and we're well-intentioned in it. We pat them on the back. Bless your heart. That was really a tragic experience. But for some reason, the new identity hadn't really taken hold. The new garment hadn't replaced the old garment. It seems as if the ash is still on our forehead. And every time we look in the mirror, when we think we've got it all together, the ash reappears and we're reminded that we've been victimized, we've been broken, and we've been disenfranchised, and we don't know what to do. And we go to church, and there seems to be no relief to the aching, gnawing pain that everybody else wants to cover up with their babble and their theologies. We run from church to church and service to service and meeting to meeting looking for a healing. Looking for something to restore our broken heart. Because I don't believe there's anything that hurts as bad as a broken heart. Anybody ever had a broken heart? I mean, I can have a toothache and it's powerful and painful. But a broken heart lingers, doesn't it? It lingers a long time. Can we be honest? Here's where my sermon went from long or short to long. Can we ask the question, why? 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 Not only why did it happen, but why can I not get over it? Why can't I accept I'm a new creature in Christ and be over it? Why can't I accept I've got a renewed mind and be over it? Why can't I wrap wrap my arms around their neck and tell them I love them and not say it with prejudice and really mean it? Why? Why do I not feel whole? Why do I still feel like Tamar? who had a robe of identity, and now all I have is an ash heap of pain. See, I don't think the church is that real with you. I think the church has carried and wore a mask. And they've told you, yes, you've been hurt. Yes, Jesus loves you. Now figure it out between point A and point B. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you. I don't want to offer that to this community. I asked God honestly. I said, God, because I was reminded of something, Marcia. I was reminded of a word God gave us at Mount Sinai. Do you remember that word? The repair of the breach. The restore of paths to dwell in. This morning at about 8.15ish, I was reminded, Tracy, of that word. And that word was to be a restorer of paths to dwell in. And I sit in there at my desk, and I know you say, well, you're so antisocial. No, some of the greatest times of intimacy with me and God isn't that time. And I sit in there, and I let Him wreck my life and remind me of things and and challenge me. And I said, God, how am I supposed to be a restorer of the garment that has been violated by an enemy? What a thought!
authority have you possibly given me in fivefold ministry to be able to come in here and say a word that could possibly restore a tattered garment? I don't have that eloquence. I don't even pretend to have that kind of an anointing in my life. To be able to come in here and somehow flowerly paint a picture of your wholeness and wellness with the character of Scripture and the eloquence of a man. Oh, please. And the Spirit of the Lord said, if you create an environment where I can habitate, I can fix it. So then I got challenged. I said, what do you mean create an environment? He said, well, I said, I do inhabit the praises of my people. I said, yes, I understand that. So we figure that the, 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 the environment must be filled with praise. And how many know Jesus loves a good party? I believe he's attracted to the praise of his people. And then the Lord spoke. He said, I'm not talking about you being comfortable in the environment. I said, I'm talking about the tomorrows being comfortable. See, we make church comfortable for church folk. We gear and institute an environment that is all about what we understand, what our preferences are. Not one time have we thought what it would feel like to come through these doors in a tattered garment, covered in an ash heap without hope, being raped, being victimized, and to walk into this environment. Have we made the environment not only conducive for the Holy Spirit, but have we made it conducive for the Tamars of the world? Oh, dear God, I'm guilty. Because I'm trying to make sure you're all happy. No wonder I lost my hair. Making you happy. You can look in the mirror and make yourself unhappy. What, what, don't put that on me. What about an environment that's not toxic? What about an environment that is a non-guilt environment? What about an environment where you can come in and be a Tamar? A Tamar that's pursuing the glory of reconciliation. A tomorrow that comes in, they shouldn't have to apologize for their broken life. Shouldn't even have to cover up the ash. My greatest concern is that God can't send the real tomorrows because we're far too judgmental to accept them. Well, it's going to get tough in here. I'm probably not going to win many friends. I want Jesus in this place. I want His presence. I want Him to to touch my life. But when am I going to shift from coming to church looking for Him to touch me and shift over and say, Lord, I want You to touch my Tamar generation. In fact, Lord, use me to change the environment for the Tamars of the world. Help me to change that environment for them. See, it's easy for me to come in and sing songs of victory and praise and remind myself that I have an identity and fight through that and I need that. Hallelujah. But there's a whole lot of people that have never even got to your place. 
They're still sitting in the ash heap of regret, asking why. And the church continues to parade itself on the platforms of America, doing our thing. And we've lost touch with a generation of Tamars who are wounded and broken. Because, see, for me, this environment has to be accepting of the Tamars. And to be accepting of the Tamars, I don't have to have an answer for why it happened. That's freeing to me. In fact, I can't even help you understand probably why. My job is to help you see out of the ash heap rising a beautiful treasure. My job is to point you to the resurrected Christ who can take ash heaps and turn them into beautiful monuments and testimonies of His glory. Oh, you didn't hear me. See, our job is to create an environment where they're accepted, where they're loved, where they're not judged, and where there's no guilt. Where that they can come in and, and express, I've been raped. And when I say that term, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about across the board. And that's not gender specific for male or female. I'm talking about humanity being raped by an adversary. And their garments are tattered. And they need to admit, I need a safe place to recover. When's the last time that somebody said to you, you can recover here at your own time, on your own pace? You don't have to keep up with them. You just got to keep moving. You hear me? See, the church has created this environment that if you don't measure up with sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, then you just, you just not got it all together. Run at your own pace. We'll give you grace. Because we want you to pursue the glory because it's the glory that will give you back your identity. It's the glory of God that will give you back your identity. That will give you back your right standing. That will give you back your position in Christ. See, I don't know what guilt-free feels like, do you? That's like eating ice cream that don't have calories in it. If it ain't got any calories in it, it ain't got no taste to me. See, y'all try to get me because you know I'm a connoisseur of ice cream. I enjoy ice cream. It's my vice. I enjoy it. You can't eat ice cream and be... Thank you. I've taught you well. You can't eat ice cream and be depressed. It's impossible. Not that I struggle from depression, but I enjoy a good bowl of ice cream. I get done this morning, honey, I might deserve a big bowl. Okay? So what's the point? I don't like yogurt. Why do you not like yogurt? Because it's not ice cream. And I've got some well-intentioned, loving church members in this house that say, Pastor, it tastes the same. You are a liar. You can put syrup on it, nuts on it. It's not ice cream. Come go with us. Where are you going? Yogurt shop. No, thank you. 
Why won't you go with us? You don't want a fellowship? No, I don't like yogurt. Because it's an imitation to me. You knew I was going somewhere. I just can't talk about ice cream and not have a point. It's an imitation to me. It might be the same, but it's different. I don't want to be a church that's an imitation of the glory. I don't want to pretend that we love the tomorrows and then treat them in a guilt-filled environment. I don't want to give them formality. They need to fire the Holy Ghost. They don't need the formality of my religious rhetoric. They need to know what the glory feels like, what the power of transformation feels like. And that's not a sermon, and that's not a song. That's the saturation of His presence. See, I'm going to let the Holy Ghost lead. And the reality of letting the Holy Ghost lead is you're not quite sure what off-ramp He might take. That may make you uncomfortable, but I've become very, very comfortable flying without sight. If you had to preach my sermon based on my notes, you're in trouble. You're like, where's your points? Well, in the margin of my Bible, it says, restore the royal robes of the children of the king. There you go. Preach for 45 minutes. I've just learned to fly without seeing. The church today is so self-reliant that we have forfeited the Holy Spirit leading. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead the Tamars into our environment. An environment that is not toxic and not filled with fear or guilt, but is loving and accepting and not judging or condemning. See, this has to be an environment, and this is important for me, it has to be an environment that doesn't keep records. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about that's the love chapter? One of the characteristics of, the, of that love chapter that Paul articulated for us was this. Love records no wrong. See, an environment for us has to have an environment that isn't full of record keepers. Well, we gave them $100. We gave them a food packet. We gave them this. We did that for them. We've done this for them. Stop keeping records. Sometimes those that have been abused and victimized by life need a big 40-acre field to turn around in. Give them some grace to turn. We cannot walk around keeping a record of what we've done and what they've not done. The environment has to be neutral. No records. We're just going to teach the Word. Teach the promises of the covenant of God. Remind them of their identity. Help them renew their mind. And help them stay strong without reminding them of what we did to help them get there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not real sure. This, to me, sometimes, I, I preach messages sometimes they are like a massacre. I preach some. I have more rabbit trails than there's rabbits to chase down. I'm pretty specific this morning. I've identified there's a generation of Tamars 
who have been abused and victimized in this world we live in. We've got a lot of religious people who have tried to create a a philosophy of healing and wholeness without really creating the environment for it by giving them what I call folk theology. It'll be all right. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. That's what that's church is good at. Bless your heart. My heart ain't the problem. My mind's all jacked up because it's Duke. Never mind. You don't want to talk about that. Because in my mind, I'm thinking about killing them. And you're blessing my heart. Well, that's good. Sounds good. But if you really knew what I was thinking, you'd be praying for me to get my heart right and my head right because I'm going to jack this guy up. Okay, y'all don't want to talk. See, now I done got too. See, I get down here, Leon. It's like, oh, no, don't talk. Don't, don't get real now. Here's our problem. We have been so custom and, and trained to have church theology that we don't have a compassionate heart for the Tamars. No wonder our churches is not reaching the community or the love or the needs of the, the, those outside our house and our loved ones and outside us because we don't have the compassion to understand how victimized they are. And then we want to bring them in here and make them just like you. My God, do we need another one just like me? That's scary. We have a whole generation of Tamars that have been victimized and abused. And we've got to create an environment. I want an environment where the presence of God is. Where His glory is tangible and present. Why? Because I believe God wants to draw a whole generation of Tamars to this house. See, I'm not real good with, with, uh, well, I'll just call it transplants. Fish hoppers. Puddle jumpers. Need I be more descriptive? Hoppers. Well, I didn't like my last pastor, so I'm going to try you out. I'm going to make you mad before you even sit down. And I'm okay with that. I'm not interested in entertaining the saints. I'm trying to figure out how we can move beyond this self-satisfied gratification we get on Sunday morning because we went to church. How many more services do you need? How many more Sundays do you need us to sing and to us preach and you feel good about you and still do absolutely nothing to make an indelible print upon the kingdom of God? How many more times? How many more times do you need me to tell you you're a royal priesthood? How many more sermons do you need to know your identity is in Christ? Your position is in Christ. You've been given royal righteous garments and you're perfect in His image. Now live for God. All the while, the Tamars are dying with ash on them while we go to church and do our best to be religious. See, in 2015, this house has to shift. If we're not going to shift, we need to cease. You didn't hear me at all because you're like threatening all pastor. Don't say that. Either we shift or we cease to exist. Because we're not in the business of entertaining the spiritual elitists who are looking for an opportunity to continue to grow a gift that they're not using. I'm not interested in embellishing your spiritual aptitude so that you can feel more spiritual all the while. You don't care about a dying humanity. 
Somewhere we've got to put our faith to the pavement and realize there's a generation of tomorrows and we've got to pull down the guilt, pull down the religion, pull down the theology and start caring for people who have had their garments ripped, who are sitting under the ash heap of hopelessness and we've got to pick some people up and introduce them to the power of the cross and know the glory of restoration. And Jesus said, Amen. I heard Him. I heard Him. He said, Amen. Because that's the whole purpose of why he left you and I on this people planet. Not so we could go to church and be spiritual elitists. He left us on this people planet to represent his identity, his restoration, his plan for humanity. We better get busy or we better look for a plane out because I'm not interested in just going through the motions. You say, Pastor, what got in your Wheaties? I'm not sure. I know this much. I've been doing this a long time. And I've yet to figure out why God won't give me a bunch of radicals. Give me a bunch of radicals. Give me, I, I like nonconformist. I like pastor, play it safe. Not my nature. We need radicals. We need revolutionaries. I'm not looking for the Absaloms that's trying to destroy the destroyers. I'm looking for somebody to pick up the Tamars because they see her. They identify with her. We've all been broken. We've all been dropped. We've all been misused. We've all got a story. But we've got to start looking at people and let them know that we have come to a true identity and they can get theirs back too. Isn't that the message? Come on, stand with me in this room. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.